Do you want to make your dreams come to life? Then today's episode is for you. This is part two of practical steps to get you moving in the direction of manifesting your dreams. Hello and welcome. I'm Tyler Kaufman, and this is the Vile Methods Podcast, the show where we hear stories about the incredible leaders bridging divides, serving their neighbors, and making waves in society. From entrepreneurs and volunteers to community leaders and nonprofit directors, we'll learn what it takes to change the world. My guest today is once again the owner and founder of Affirm Fundraising, Laurel O'Connor. And I am really excited once again to have her on. Laurel and I met in seminary at Drew Theological School in Madison, New Jersey. Laurel, welcome once again to the show. It's great to have you. Maybe you could tell people a little bit about your heart's reason and the steps you took towards getting this book and helping put together and getting people going on their stuff. My my heart reason is organizational transformation through fundraising, like teaching people that fundraising can be this avenue, it's not a dirty word, through which capacity building can happen. Like You can transform your organization, create fiscal sustainability, all sorts of things. And it's around this idea of fundraising as organizational growth. And this past year, as I built a firm fundraising, as an online presence, as a consultancy, working with ministries and organizations, I realized that my heart reason was so big and so loud that if I didn't write it down, I was just going to explode. And so I decided to write a book that is a proclamation of my heart reason. And I have young kids and things are crazy, but oh man, now that there's this outward expression of my inward reality, it just propels the ministry that much more. So what I wanted to say was don't think that you don't have anything to share. Whoever you are, whatever you are doing, don't think that whatever's on your heart isn't important enough or isn't big enough or isn't broad enough. Like you have a voice, you have a vision and you can share that however, however you are best suited, but share it. And so for me, that was sitting down and writing a book. For some people, that's going to be smashing it out of the park with social media, you know, and sharing things that way. For some people, it's going to be around the dinner table. But whatever your vision is, you can do it. Stop looking at what you don't have and start thinking about what you do have. That's that scarcity to strength mindset. Like, I just can't emphasize that enough. You too, Tyler. Yeah. So Laurel's heart reason is to help me, to help you, to help us find our heart's reason. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So there might be someone who's asking, okay, this is all great. I actually do want to have some, some tips on, on asking for money. <laughs> and and <laughs> you, you discuss about how some of the team building is training your leaders to be fundraisers, to ask for money. Mm-hmm. And there are some awkward conversations that go with that. And there's a couple key things that I learned through the course of doing some capital campaigns and some stewardship campaigns with churches I've led. And I think you just clearly state them in the book super well. And the the first one is this, that a lot of people rationalize not asking people to give because they think that the person may not have the money to do so. But you, I mean, you call it out and you say, 
who are you to decide what each person or family is or is not involved in? If you truly believe in your heart reason, you'll want everyone involved. Yeah. That is super clear to me. And then the second piece that you spell out really clearly, and I think this is a huge takeaway, is how do people address it when somebody says, well, do you give? (laughs) Well, do you support it? And you say that to remember, (laughs) first of all, that, that donors can tell if you're lying and then to take a deep breath and that you actually suggest like a, a, a super clean way of saying it. I believe deeply in this vision and I am proud to give to this project on a monthly basis. I think that's right. absolutely beautiful. Exactly. To be honest, I have never heard someone ask how much do you give? But what I have heard is the question of what if someone asks me how much I give? I think it's more of a fear than a reality because it's a super rude question to ask. And so telling them that you give to the project without getting into specifics is important. And as you give to the project, you know that every other donor that you talk to, it's basically multiplying your gift. Absolutely. And in my experience, it's that also translates to higher socioeconomic situations as well. Like the reason, so matching gifts the person that does a matching gift that offers up the million dollars to be matched can give that million dollars no matter what. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have you match their money. The reason that wealthier people, wealthier philanthropists give a matching gift is because they want to know that other people care about their heart's reason. They wanted to see if other people believed in what they believe in. I also think everyone, regardless of how many dollars you have, wants to see their dollars multiplied. Like you want to know that what you do goes even further than you. Yeah. Is this landing in fertile soil? I'm going to put some money into this. Is there more people than me? Like if something happens to me, will this continue on? Transitioning out of fundraising for a moment, you state something that is super practical to me, which is dig through the data. And you find, you say, find data to support the need. Mm -hmm. And that, that will actually help drive it. It's like the logical reason to go with your heart reason. I'm not super logical as a person. I am all feeling Holy Spirit. I feel called to this. But grounding myself and knowing that there's an actual need does help lend even more weight to what you're building. Yeah. So say more about how you find those pieces of data. There's a couple of different phases that I like to think about. And a lot of times they happen all at the same time. So it doesn't need to feel super overwhelming. But looking at a needs assessment, you can take a look or walk around the neighborhood if you're doing something neighborhood-based and say, what doesn't exist here? You can go in and talk to store owners about what things that they wish existed. Or um, if you have a neighborhood watch group talking about the fact that there's no library or that there's no park or that there's no safe place for seniors who need rest during the day or you know, whatever the case may be, you're going to be able to hear that if you get outside the walls of wherever you are. And then what you do is, one of the things I learned actually in my research methods class was walking the neighborhood and drawing a map and saying, what is situated where? What is a business? What is residential? What is a large apartment building? Is there a school? So someone can say, oh, there's no library. And then you do a neighborhood walk and say, oh, but the library 
is a couple blocks down, the real trouble is that there's no transportation to get there, or the real trouble is that the library isn't safe. You can see between anecdotal data and actual boots on the ground data, whether it is through Google mapping, I highly recommend walking um, if it's not too cold. <laughs> it is a little cold here right now, but the idea of combining what people tell you, which is very important data with what you can find by taking the walk. There's a lot you can do on the computer and there's a lot you can do on your feet and putting those two together to create the asset map of what you have and the needs assessment of what doesn't exist. There's two pieces there. So we have the, does this exist? Yes or no. Um, and then how many people utilize it? So how many people are at the library? What times of day? When mm -hmm. are the hours that it's open? How many people have Wi-Fi at home? How many people don't? Mm -hmm. So those things are, are even beyond assets data of how many fatherless children are there in the community and different questions that might actually back up a direction. So the asset map, you talk about expanding your network and part of that is the asset mapping. Could you kind of take us through how do you start? What's the, the first thing that you look at? You're right. That's not the first step. The first step is starting with your team. And it's a great way to practice asset mapping is by talking to your team. What do they, do they work outside the home? Are they connected to any affinity groups? Um, so if you have a banker on your team and a stay-at-home mom on your team, seeing like is somebody involved in Toastmasters? Is somebody involved with, with MOPS, mothers of preschoolers? Like you just don't know how far your network already goes. And you don't know, hopefully, if you go through the book, you've already done some strengths analysis. And so you know that the stay-at-home mom is really organized and can be part of the planning team, whereas the banker just wants to be told what to do, and they will go do it. Whatever the case may be, starting the assets with who is on your team, where do they live, how many people are in their family, do they, um, do they know a lot of the business owners in the area? There was a team that I worked with once, and I think one of their team members was connected to a government office of the Chamber of Commerce. And that was a, a really interesting asset because they knew when grant funding was coming through. They weren't allowed to write the grant or to like advocate on behalf of it, but the team just knew when there was certain funding coming across. Or um, in a COVID world, somebody who knew about the Paycheck Protection Program, for instance, was helpful to be on church leadership team. But mm -hmm. thinking about who is already on your team. And then you kind of have circles of influence almost where you've got your immediate team, the people that they're comfortable going to and talking to the affinity groups that they connect to. Maybe somebody goes to a marketing, a marketing networking group or um, something like that, where they're at a small business incubator. Those are great things to know when you're building the assets that you already have. Like when you're building a list of what you already have is what I mean. You have way more than you think you do, and that will make your team feel so much stronger right out the gates. Yeah, and I think your your book has a really great resource for this, and uh, I'm actually using it to clarify the asset map document that I've made. And on 
pages 104, for those of you that have bought the book since the last podcast, <laughs> 104, 105, Laurel actually outlines what this is. And she states that the goal of the asset map is to show you in a concise way what resources, what people, what finances, what materials your team already has before growing in capacity in any way. And capacity meaning growing your network in any way. And so, and she clarifies, you know, just write the name of your team member, write how they spend their time, where are they employed? Are they a stay-at-home parent? Are they retired? Do they go to the library for, do they go to a, a men's group? All of these things. And so you can download the document at vialmethods.com. Uh, as of this posting, it, it'll be up. And then it goes into some more clarity, though, in the book of how do you ask people those questions? And then you take it a step further, which is you say, so you start with an asset map that is kind of team focused, your team asset map and your basic mm-hmm. relations asset map, because it could also be who is their spouse or partner connected to, who is their mom or dad, and then some of the people they work with or they know, and then you go into organizational asset maps. So would you talk a little bit about how that's different? The organizational asset map can get tricky. When I start to work for an organization, I normally create an organizational asset map for myself, which is not just like the chain of command where you have the board of directors and the executive director and the and kind of goes through. That's a part of it. But an organizational asset map is when you want to be able to see at a glance the programs that are already taking place, the staff that exists, the groups that it is connected to, some of the things that I still don't even know about the church that I work for, because it's hard to dig at all of those things. It's hard to know at a glance when you've got a lot of silos that exist. Um, I do call it a little bit of Pandora's box because you don't, you might end up coming to a place where you can't find a clear mission or vision statement for the organization. And you're like, oh no, what are we doing? You mentioned that these are meant to be living documents. Yes. Not to get bogged down in what you don't have, but it is to remind you of what you do have. Kind of the idea of the library, like the library already exists in the neighborhood what is missing between here and there. Just knowing that it's not about freaking you out about what you don't have. It's way more about reminding you what you do have. So then there's, so there first there's the the basic asset map, which is your team asset map. And then you have the organizational asset map. And then you talk about a community asset map. And one of the key things I think here is it's really easy to just not do an asset map and not do a community asset map because either one people think that, Oh, the resources are obvious or two Mm -hmm. people try to get too large too quickly instead of starting with a small catalog of things. And I really like that you say, especially if you're in a more urban or dense suburban area to start with just a five square block radius and then let it expand. Yes. Are there other tips you would give people when they're doing that community asset map of what to look for or pitfalls to avoid when they're uh, listing those things out? One of the things I would 
just reiterate, and I know I talked about community asset mapping first, so I'm glad you kind of pulled me back and brought us through the team and the organizational asset maps. The community asset map is just my favorite part. Um, and so it is scary to walk out into a community and not know what you're going to find. This is really, from scarcity to strength, has a lot of community organizing pieces to it. The idea of getting to know the neighbors and knowing what is affecting them and knowing what's important to them makes a big difference. Keep your eyes open and don't think any detail is too small. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the document that I've created and now it's it's better because of, of reading your book is ask you the basic questions like what you say in your book, which is, is there any access to public transportation that you can see? Are there churches or community agencies? What do they specialize in? There are these things happening and it can kind of trigger um, some other questions and some cultural things to be aware of. Yeah. And so in Binghamton, there's a really interesting case where instead of raising taxes, because nobody ever wants taxes to be raised ever, the cost of trash removal was going up. And so the city instituted blue bags. You have to buy these specific blue bags or your garbage will not be taken. And lots of people heralded that as an amazing decision. And we're so glad that you didn't raise taxes. But what they didn't think about is that benefits cards and WIC and things don't cover trash bags. So the more poor areas were getting covered in more and more trash because nobody could afford the bags. And there hadn't been anything thought about in those in those communities about finding ways to distribute these blue bags so that trash wasn't as much of a problem. And it ended up being a socioeconomic indicator in a way that they had anticipated. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't go around to the community and just drove through and said, oh, my gosh, this is disgusting. So there are really interesting things at play that you only find out in it during a like a community walk. And don't think you have to know everything that goes on an asset map right away. That will develop as you get to know the community needs more and make sure that whatever whatever program is created or whatever ministry is created is actually meeting a need. Um, hopefully that the relationship doesn't stop at the, what are the problems you see in the community? Thanks, I checked the box. Yeah. And now I'm going to go on my way. Yeah. So you have your, your heart passion. You find the assets that are available. You have this list of assets. And now, what do you do with it? Yeah. That's when brainstorming starts. I mean, you're already going to walk in with preconceived notions of what you might build or what you could do. Whenever opportunities for big projects come up, you know how you might think you will solve the heart reason that's been burning at you. But after you get that data is when the real brainstorming happens. For me, brainstorming is about yes and, and not about no but. I believe in the brain dump that you put next to the asset map and then kind of parse out what fits and leave behind what doesn't fit. And one of the things that came to mind was a very informal conversation I had with a colleague of mine. He's a pastor uh, nearby, and he noticed an organization called Laundry Love, which helps people afford doing laundry at public laundry centers and provides laundry soap and things like that. Because it reminded me a little bit of the blue bags in Binghamton. Like when you don't have access to a washer and dryer 
and you can't use benefits cards to do laundry, how do you wash your clothing? And a lot of people return cans and try to find ways to get the quarters. And so this church decided that they wanted to connect with a ministry of, you know, once a month offering free laundry to anybody who comes in the door through a program called Laundry Love. Wonderful. But we talked about how do you raise the funds to be able to connect that? And it became a yes and, yes and. And he started with, well, I could, I could start by going to churches and talking to them and trying to get them to donate. Yes, and how could we make that creative? And we thought about maybe a clothesline where people would take off 5 or $10 shirts off of the clothesline and donate 5 or $10. And we got a little more creative with that. And it turns out that he likes the idea of using more organic soaps to make sure that we don't have to worry as much about allergies and things like that. And he connects to the local artisans that are in, um, there's a farmer's market. And the assets kind of started to come out where I said, what would happen if you partnered with a local artisan who makes the laundry soap and a portion of the proceeds from each one that's sold goes towards laundry love. It just continued to snowball from there. When you brainstorm with your assets in mind, and don't think about, but we can't do that. You have no idea what kind of creative ideas will come of it. Whether they're used or not is not the point of brainstorming. The point is thinking about what you have and being creative. Yeah, and you also talk about how you should keep that running list the same way that we have a living document for the asset maps. You have a living document of the brainstorming. You don't need to cross things off. Exactly. You worry about filtering it through your strengths is the second step, not the first step, is continuing to challenge each other creatively, not by telling them that those ideas are bad, but saying, yes, and how can we go farther? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful point. You know, as we talk about doing this, this brainstorming, that yes, and gets you to involve and collaborate more with the community. And Mm -hmm. I return to this idea again and again with a lot of nonprofit executive directors and boards and to say, here's the, here's the thing, especially if you're building based, I want it to be so that there's a Hallmark movie moment. If you're ever going to be shut down and everybody comes out to fight for you, that your theater is not closed. Mm. Like that, that Hallmark movie moment should happen. And it doesn't happen if you don't collaborate with the community because those are always tied to like, well, Joe did this when I was down on my luck. Well, they got me my start with my business because they believed in my soap. And now I have this whole other business that I do. But I learned the skills by doing that. And, you know, all these connections and you actually matter within the community, not just because you are a place that offers people a single opportunity to come and basically transactionally experience your worship or a single ministry, Mm -hmm. but you're actually involved Mm -hmm. in their lives. And so it's a good way to think about the creating a plan and how do you move into that. And so one of the, the things that truly was honestly transformational for me in your book, and I feel like could be its own book all by itself, is you get into this idea of create a calendar 
and you outline how to create a calendar for your goals, for your events, for social media, and any other information. And I'm not going to give all the details away. Uh, people are going to have to go buy your book to get this information. But I will tell you it's on page uh, 126 of this book that it starts and there is a create a calendar. And you say this this line, um, and I'm wondering if you'd, you'd share it with with the the community. It's on 128. It starts with don't panic. <laughs> Don't panic about the idea of a fundraising calendar and try to find some peace in the fact that you will never get everything right when planning out your event. You can do all the planning in the world and find out you need to pivot because something isn't working. The goal of the calendar isn't to make you feel locked into anything, to give you a bird's eye view of where your team is at. Calendars are easily edited with group input and approval. I love that. It's such a a key to remember. And I want to hold it in tension with the fact that you should still create one. (laughs) I feel like this is the biggest piece that people are missing. We have a lot of visionary and we have a lot of doer and a lot of people miss the planning piece, which is write down an idea. You can pivot along the way to get towards your end goal, but start with something. In the Christian realm, we talk about the, the seed uh, dying, which really means it just goes dormant, dropping down in the soil and birthing a new plant. This is all new beginnings, which is another beginning's end that we're constantly yeah. recycling forward. And this is the idea that I feel like people need to keep in mind with the calendar is you got to create it. There has to be the first seed planted in order for something to grow that new seeds can be there for future crops. And you build off of that. I wonder if there's any other exactly. there's tips that you would give people as they are getting ready with this calendar uh, and and moving forward. You, one of the things is that you can't celebrate the progress if you don't see it. And it's really hard to see it if it's not written down. As humans, we think it's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. I mean, that could just be me. But it hasn't always been this way. And you don't see that unless your goals were written down in a way that you can see six months ago, we only had 25 social media followers. Now we're at a hundred. That's three, 300% growth. I think you don't see that unless you write it down. And how can you celebrate your victories with your team and celebrate growth with your team? If you haven't tracked it or celebrate other sorts of things with your team. Like we got, 10, uh, 10 new articles up that got this much engagement or whatever the goals might be. We got our plan figured out. Those are the sorts of things that you're going to want to calendar through and be able to look back at. Or whether it is a sort of Trello board calendar that you use, whatever the case may be, finding something that works for your team and keeping track of goals and tasks and upcoming events and um that is really, really important. And I wanted to say something else about you had talked about failure and redefining failure. For me, failure is just the beginning of the next pivot. And you're not going to see that the momentum you've had going up to that or the movement that you've already had going up to that if you only see what feels like failure in front of you. 
you almost have to look backward to go forward. You see where, how far you've come, even if you end up moving in a different direction. Yeah, I love the way you frame that. It it reminds me once again of another another quote in your book. And you get back to feedback and the importance of debriefing and giving authentic feedback. And so many groups, I think, want to get on the constructive thing that's going to make it better next time and forget to celebrate, which you name. You need to just pause and celebrate how wonderful it is. Sometimes groups just go, yeah, we made it through. Okay, Mm -hmm. what can we do better next year? We made it through. (laughs) We accomplished it. We got it done is not celebrating it. And so a need to celebrate. And then you also say, though, when you frame perceived negative feedback, frame it through a lens of making the event stronger, because then people are more likely to speak up because they have a vested interest in the success of it. So this was amazing. And what are we going to do next year to make it even better? Very similar, creating the culture of yes, and creating the culture of risk taking, like, even if it was a risk that didn't pan out, celebrating the fact that the team took a risk and saying, well, how, how can we do it differently next time? Makes it so that the person doesn't feel like their time was wasted. Whoever, whichever leader might have been empowered to, to run things um, makes it feel like you're still building even when you don't see the bricks being put on. Like Even if you have to take the bricks off after you put them on, it's still building something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. What other encouragement would you give people who are looking to follow their, their heart reason and make the dreams that they've been sitting on a reality? That the journey is really important. And that's really hard for me because I am an end goal kind of gal where I want to see, I want to see it done. I want to see it finished and I want to see it perfect. So what I've been trying to learn, and I wrote this book to myself a little bit too, that the things that you learn and the people that you work with and the leaders you empower, that is just as much the project as the project itself. And don't be afraid to get to know people. I'm a big Brene Brown fan in terms of like vulnerability and connecting and just knowing that the the journey, don't be afraid of it. And that you can walk it. And it's just one step at a time. And that there's no there's no step backward, even if it feels like it. You have more than you think you have. So one final piece I'd love for you to read to the community, the Vile Methods community, is... And I've never actually read my book aloud to people before. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. I when when we talked before we did the podcast and you were giving me some encouragement with stuff I was dealing with, the words and hearing you say it were deeply meaningful to me. And it's something I held on to. Like sometimes we just need people who affirm and speak truth into our lives. I feel like you do that really well. And page one thirty, there's a piece where you do that that just is really strong to me. At the very bottom of it, and it's the the questions of who am I to do this? As for the failure question, if you have gotten this far and built this kind of in-depth system to fundraise and build capacity, you've already won. I don't care if your events fall flat or if it turns out you need to redefine your goals. You have gained leadership skills. You have shared leadership skills with your team 
and you have created something beautiful. You have created a foundation for growth, no matter what it may be. You're ready to take action. I just know it. I love that. It's even better hearing you read it. The way that you worded that, that it is not just about that. It's about the skills you develop and the connections you've made gives me hope in the same way that we're talking about when an event fails, that it gives you hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. And thank you for this beautiful book. How can people find out more? Of course, they can go find the book. Uh, how can they find out more about you and the work you're doing and about uh, Affirm Fundraising? So Affirm Fundraising, it's great that you used the word affirm as I was like affirming what we were doing, because that's the reason why I chose the name for it. Affirming that fundraising is more than we think it is and that we are more than we think we are. So Affirm Fundraising does have a website. It's got a blog. So there's lots of access to free information. Um, the blog is always being built, just as all of our initiatives are. And so affirmfundraising.com is where you'll find that. Um, there's access to things like a mission market, if your ministry's ever thought about using the online marketplace. Or one of the blog posts I'm working on right now is considering the shift from church secretary to virtual assistant. And so affirmfundraising.com, I try to share insights and there's a contact me page on there if you need more help, or you can just email me at laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L, at affirmfundraising.com. So let's play a game of would you rather this or that. You ready for this? I am. All right, Laurel. I'm going to ask you an easy one, and then I'm going to ask you probably the hardest one I've ever asked on the show. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. All right. First one. Cuddle a dog or cuddle a cat? There's a cat on my lap right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> that's too <laughs> perfect. Oh, All right. Here's a difficult one. End world hunger or end addiction? I feel like the first one might help the second one. So I'm going to go with end world hunger. Yeah, it's like super difficult, right? Like I remember thinking, man, I don't like, they're so intermixed. Yeah. (laughs) How do you... You pick one, you might end the other, and same with like war and poverty. Take one, you might end the mm-hmm. other, but which way does it go? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Heavy stuff. All right, and then a little bit of an easier one: hot air balloon or submarine? Oh, hot air balloon! <laughs> I'm not, I'm not drowning in a tin can. <laughs> easy, easy for you, huh? Oh, yeah. I love it. All right, and then finally, a little slightly different than last time, but what is the upstate New York thing that everyone, or just state of New York thing, that everyone who lives there or visits simply must see or try? What's a thing that if somebody said, oh, yeah, I've been to New York State, and they hadn't tried it, you'd say, nah, yeah, I don't think you actually ever went there. Hmm. I'm going to go a little outdoorsy on this one. If you haven't checked out the gorges at Ithaca, I would highly recommend that you take the hike. 
I straight up wrote that one down because <laughs> I lived like basically in up in in New York State and didn't actually go see that. So now I feel like, oh man, that's a hit. I got a hit on my record. Mm. I've been to all fifty states like twice, and I have not seen that. Oh man. Well, Laurel, thank you so much for being on. I really do hope you'll come back and. I know that our listeners would love to hear more from you about fundraising and strategic planning and making their dreams come true. Cause this is super important stuff. And I know that it will change the world if they allow your heart reason to bring to life their heart reasons. Well, method heads, if you want to talk outreach, servant leadership, or anything else in between episodes, follow me on Twistagram at Vile Methodist or Vile Methods and join our Facebook community at facebook.com slash Vile Methods. Do you have questions for myself or a guest? A suggestion of a topic you'd like covered on the show? Email me, slide into my DMs, or post your question in the Facebook group. You can also learn more and find additional resources by visiting our website, vilemethods.com. Till next time, be vile by daring to put more love in the world.